I'm Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borana of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this episode of On Air podcast. We are essentially still looking at the myriad of events that happened in the one week we decided to take off. We're going to be dipping into some things that have happened in the past couple of weeks, not necessarily in the last week. So we are going to start with uh, one of the sort of big British news stories that happened a couple of weeks ago, which was the news that Scotland Yard are officially investigating and looking into the sort of scandal that's happened around Prince Charles, the Prince's Foundation and uh, people, what is called a cast for honour scandal, where people are being given honours in return for financial settlements or financial aid or money given to something that they specifically would like done. Basically, back in 2016, uh, Prince Charles gave a CBE at a private ceremony in Buckingham Palace to a Saudi billionaire, um, Mafuz bin Mafuz. A lot of people might be thinking, well, he does that all the time. Why is that important? But it has it leaked last year that Dr. Mahfouz may have given money to the Prince's Foundation, which is one of Charles's charities, in exchange for support getting a CBE, which he did eventually get. Um, and that is against the law. Um, and so I think I actually have a unique expertise in this area for once. <laughs> because I work in the charity sector and I particularly work with high net worth donors. And so I think a lot of the questions when this first came out were people being like, well, isn't this normal? Doesn't this happen all the time? Don't rich people give money to charity to get stuff all the time? And you would be right. This is not uncommon. So for example, if your charity has a royal patron, then you might have somebody who gives you money and hopes that at the next time you have a fundraising gala, they get a seat next to your royal patron. So it's totally normal to have these kind of unspoken arrangements. But the reason that this is potentially against the law is that this is quid pro quo, and that is against the Honours Prevention of Abuse Act from 1925. A quid pro quo is a specific thing where you agree in advance that the donation is being made only in exchange for an honour. So it's not the case that, you know, you donate money and then somebody helps you afterwards and you get something out of it. It has to be something that is sort of explicitly agreed between both parties in advance. It's particularly an issue when it comes to the honour system, because that's obviously there's supposed to be some kind of integrity to that, where it's like people shouldn't be able to theoretically um, buy their way into getting an honour. So that's why it's an issue. And there is obviously another name that we haven't mentioned, which is Michael Fawcett who was the chief executive of the Prince's Foundation um, and used to be one of, you know, Charles's aides. And Michael Fawcett did that thing that rich people do when they get into a bit of trouble and they step down without resigning. Um, And then he officially resigned in November last year, which kind of uh, sort of opened the floodgates a bit. He was the person who allegedly got the honour, got Charles to agree to give the honour and took the money in the first place. And so someone called Norman Baker, who used to be a Liberal Democrat, he made the official complaint to Scotland Yard, which did uh, launch the investigation. And it is a criminal investigation in this case, not a civil one. Yeah. And Michael Fawcett is uh, an interesting man who has definitely managed to fly under the radar, despite 
not being a very nice person. And obviously we should say anytime there's any kind of criminal investigation, Michael Fawcett, like everybody else, is innocent until proven guilty. But let's just say that this is not the first kerfuffle he's found himself in. So there was a tribunal that was brought against, it was it was against Charles as the employer, but he wasn't personally um, implicated uh, to say that Michael Fawcett had used racist language around a black secretary who worked for Charles at the time and um, that they had replaced her with a white woman who, you know, and it was racially motivated. Michael did win that one. And then a few years after that, all the other members of staff spoke out about Michael. Um, so Tiggy Leg Legberg. Yes, I think. Yeah. I've never known how you pronounce that. Um, who was the nanny to uh, William and Harry at one point and is still a close family friend. Uh, Dickie Arbiter, who also worked for the palace and now sort of is a bit of a royal correspondent. Both of them said that while they were working with Charles, Michael was a bully and not a very nice man. And they sort of went on the record to say that. He was eventually forced to resign from his job working with Charles because he was selling royal gifts but he didn't remain un unemployed for long because Charles swooped in and hired him back for his foundation. At the very least, we can say that Prince Charles is guilty of horrific judgment uh, when it comes to who he <laughs> keeps around him. There have been some um, letters that have been leaked that have kind of shown a paper trail dating back to sort of 2013 that suggests that Michael was having conversations about what they could do to support uh, Mafu's getting ACBE. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a quid pro quo. It's it's a very difficult thing to prove. Only one person has ever been charged since 1925. While, the, you know, Michael Fawcett has gone on record and said, you know, nope, this is not true. It's not something that the Prince's Foundation themselves have out and out said never happened. And in fact, in December, they did, you know, I don't know what they call it, like an inquiry, one of these like self-inquiry things into what had happened. And they found that, Yes, there was evidence of communication between Michael Fawcett and um, Dr. Mafuz's sort of team. And I think possibly slightly more worrying was the fact that other trustees were aware of this. It wasn't just Michael on his own sneaking them out. Now, obviously, they're not saying, oh, Michael Fawcett had a quid pro quo arrangement in place. But he was saying this they found during their own research of their own company that this did this was something that has happened you know Charles is a princess foundation Charles isn't a trustee he's not involved in the governance he's a president but mud sticks and <laughs> this is not the first time Charles has been hanging around with some unsavory people people get a little bit confused especially about charities like the princess foundation or the royal foundation or things that were established by the royals the people who have legal responsibility for a charity are the trustees and that's one of the reasons why the royals themselves don't personally do it, because, you know, we've seen in recent years some, I mean, it's not been criminal, but we've had some investigations from the Charity Commission of the Royal Foundation and Meghan and Harry's charity. And if you are the trustee, you are the person who is being investigated, essentially. Um, so generally, the royals tend to take a little bit of a backseat. So if this was just an investigation by the Charity Commission, Charles would most likely not be held responsible because he isn't a trustee. Um, if it's a criminal investigation, then it's slightly different because they don't really care about who is actually leading the charity. They care about who was actually involved in the criminal action. I think that that's possibly one of the reasons why this is so damaging to Charles is because people don't necessarily understand how charities work. So they just see the Prince's Foundation, 
he's the prince that's being referred to. So they think, well, obviously it was Charles who was involved. Even if he, it turns out he isn't, it's going to be very difficult for him to sort of shake that. It's It has, obviously on a much different scale, but it does have kind of elements of Andrew and the police with Charles and the police here because, you know, both of them went on record yet. We're willing to talk to the police. And, you know, in both cases, at no point has there a, a policeman or woman or, you know, investigator made a request. So in both cases, I mean, in Charles's, Scotland Yard have said, we've not yet, you know, we haven't spoken to Charles. We haven't wanted to speak to the Prince of Wales. Char- <laughs> but Charles has kind of got himself into a sort of a sticky situation. If you just sort of glance at the storyline, it's Prince Charles was taking money from a billionaire in return for a medal and probably other things. And that's what it looks like when the reality is, you know, is different. You know, essentially, Prince Charles's name isn't actually within the, the complaint. I think when you look at some of the communications that have leaked, you know, Michael Fawcett is saying things like, oh, yes, Prince Charles is very supportive of this. And, you know, I've spoken about it with him and like. Maybe that is true, but at the same time, he could have been exaggerating slightly, or he could have just mentioned to Charles, like, oh, Mafuz wants British citizenship, and Charles had gone, oh, that's nice, I hope he gets it. And then that was the end of the conversation. In my personal experience, royals don't really know a huge amount about the day-to-day conversations that are happening, especially around donations and things. They prefer to keep their hands clean. Like, they'll go to a gala, but they are not going up to people and saying, hey, give us money, even in a non-royal charity the higher level of an organization they don't generally know what's going on in the day-to-day so I could completely believe that Charles genuinely didn't really know anything about this situation yes and I think you know one of the reasons why this sort of has become so damaging is well on one hand it's because it is Michael Fawcett and he has so much baggage with him anyway but on the other hand like this isn't the first time a royal has been kind of linked in some kind of quid pro quo arrangement I mean we spoke we mentioned him sort of in passing last week about Sarah Ferguson who was selling access to Andrew for money um you know I think last year Prince Michael was sort of in a bit of a similar situation so it's not like it's it's unheard of for a royal to do this I think it's very easy to see them as kind of like a a friendly way of being able to reach the higher levels of power, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, instead of going through a politician where it'll probably be found out much more quickly, you go through the royals and it all seems a bit more fluffy and soft and people don't necessarily realise, actually, no, this this could potentially be a crime. I think the timing is particularly bad because it was sort of like, I think, I think it was Andrew's case was he reached the settlement or the settlement was announced and then it was literally like the next day that they announced that they were doing this criminal investigation yeah it was it very much there was like it was that week and it was like every day there was some new dramatic news story that just didn't look good for the brf really i mean i suppose the question then is like can charles actually even influence this process you know we talked about the honor system in episode seven uh, they inspire a terrified respect in me uh, and you know the whole thing is that it's supposed to be independent and that there's a committee who um kind of analyze applications and then they send those on to the prime minister who says yes and then the prime minister sends them on to um the queen 
And so theoretically, Charles shouldn't be able to influence that process. I mean, he's a very powerful and influential reference to have. If you're like, I think I should get a knighthood. And the reason is Prince Charles agrees with me. You know, it's quite a powerful um, endorsement. But also, so the committee that decided this particular honour, there were multiple people on that committee who are connected to, to Prince Charles. One is chairman of the Prince's Trust. One is an ambassador to the British Asian, Asian Trust, which are both charities uh connected to charles and again they haven't been implicated in anything they haven't been interviewed by the police there's been no charges so they are all legally innocent but it does just show that it would have been very easy for michael fawcett or charles or whoever to call up the couple of friends that they have on the committee and say we really think that you should look seriously at this guy's application even though there are so many different levels to get through for an honor you know there are people at every level who will have their own opinions that you know you might think are right or wrong um and people who are better at putting these opinions across I've worked in the charity sector for over five years now and there will be other some other person who gives a million pounds to charity and that is seen as being as valuable as my five years five days a week of actually working in the sector and doing things to help people and you know so it is a bit of a broken system in general this isn't, you know, something that's suddenly like, oh, this is a special rule that's specifically about royals and rich people. Because I mean, I have a gift policy at work, you know, that says that, you know, I can only accept, you know, I'm a teacher, I get gifts at Christmas at the end of the year and occasionally children just give me apples because they think it's hilarious. Um, and it's like, I have something in my contract that says, you know, I can only accept gifts up to a certain amount. Otherwise, I have to go and declare them or refuse them in case it affects how I treat that child. I'm like, well, if her mom's giving me 300 pound pair of shoes every week, she's gonna be my favorite. Like, that's the thing in lots of jobs, you know, mine is more like I get a nice pair of socks and that's fine. But if, you know, one of the parents at school gave me 300 million pounds, I probably would be nicer to their child. I'm not gonna lie. You probably wouldn't still be teaching if they gave you 300 million. So I'd be like, oh, I'm off to buy a house. See ya, suckers. <laughs> Um, where she gone? So, oh, she had a windfall. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Wouldn't it? I'm still waiting for one of the the billionaires at my work to give me three hundred million, but it's not it's not looking great. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't look good either way. And I think that as we've seen from Prince Andrew, it doesn't does it really matter what the outcome of the investigation is? I suppose it, it does on, on one level, but at the same time, once you're kind of accused of something, if enough people want to believe it's true they'll believe it's true. I mean, nothing has really developed since they've announced the investigation. We haven't heard much since then. It, it hasn't um, only touched Charles, shall we say, um, because Mafuz also donated to two of Prince Harry's charities and they did meet in 2013. Um, and he released a statement saying that he raised concerns about, the, about Mafuz and uh to his father and and there were some leaked emails and things that were from mark dyer who is sort of one of the leader one of the i can't remember if he's a trustee or like an executive member but he's very he was very senior in the charity at the time and um that he was kind of a bit like oh this is this is dodgy that he's asking us to um to kind of go over and physically meet him in Saudi Arabia before he gives us a donation. He wants to meet Prince Harry and be photographed with him. That doesn't really feel appropriate. Um, we don't know whether Harry actually did raise it with Charles. That bit hasn't been included in the emails, but we do know that there was a little bit of worry. And I think that 
Harry's statement was obviously done to kind of distance himself, but he may have accidentally placed himself at the very center of it. Because if he did tell Charles, this guy is only interested in donating in order to get an honor or something else, then that could prove like pre-knowledge, which is part of the criteria for a quid pro quo. Yeah, because the investigation, like, none of the claims were about Harry, like... No. And then Harry was like, oh, actually, <laughs> I was involved. He kind of has to be interviewed by police now, right? Like, more than Charles does, because Harry's officially gone on record and said, well, I knew about this, and I told Daddy, no. But Charles is like, well, I don't know what's going on. So, I mean, if I was a police officer, that's where I'd go, but... I don't know that this will end up being, like, the thing that, you know ends Charles you know the way that this Epstein thing is but Andrew was involved in a lot of scandals and it was Epstein that was the one that finally did him in I don't know if this is going to be that for Charles I unless he's found guilty of something but I I just think that's unlikely because he will have sort of plausible deniability of like I'm not involved in running the charity I was just going by what Michael told me but you know it's it's kind of this is why you shouldn't have people who are the heir to the throne for 70 odd years because they have 70 years to make mistakes in and people are going to look more harshly at Charles than the queen because she's the queen and she had I think particularly because when she became the queen how long she's been it she's got that kind of cuddly grandma figure and I also think one of the reasons Charles is quite lucky in a weird way it's gonna sound really horrible when I say mum's gonna die but by the time this sort of comes to fruition if it does chances are he won't be Prince Charles anymore, he'll be King Charles. I think, you know, if this had come out 20 years ago, there would be more of a risk to Charles because obviously he would just be, I mean, he's a very rich, protected person, but he would still just be Prince Charles. Prince Charles seems to see his own role as the heir to the throne as being different from the monarch in that he's he's much more political or partisan than he should be, in my opinion. Um, And whenever he's been asked about it, he sort of just said, well, you know, I'm not going to carry this on when I'm the monarch, but I feel like I have a bit more leeway to be able to say these things now. He's an easier target to get to uh, because he is very powerful, but he doesn't have the same kind of constitutional responsibilities that the Queen has. Yeah, I think if you look at the people who've kind of had these mistakes before, they do tend to be those kind of like, royal adjacents so you know like divorced royals or non-working royals but who still have titles or sort of part-time royals and I think that's always the worry when there's a divorce or someone leaves the royal family for any reason because they have that link they have that connection but they don't necessarily have the sort of the legal pressure to behave that goes with it. So we're now moving into our light bite. We only have one light bite this week, uh, which is the birthdays of Princess Estelle and Prince Oscar of Sweden. So for those who don't know much about the Swedish royal family, they are the children of Crown Princess Victoria and Prince Daniel and the grandchildren of the King and Queen of Sweden. So Princess Estelle will one day be the Queen of Sweden. Um, So it was her birthday on the 23rd of February and she turned 10 years old. And then her little brother, Oscar, he turned six on the 2nd of March. And so to mark the occasions, they released uh, some images. So I'll 
start with Estelle. So the there was an image that was released of her at her home. And then later on in the day, there was a photograph that was released of her with the king and queen. Uh, for Oscar's birthday, there was a photograph released of him playing in the snow, which was taken by his mother. So let's start with Estelle. I mean, she was wearing a little white blazer. She just looked like a tiny little businesswoman. It was so adorable. <laughs> yeah, she did that kind of European royal thing where they suddenly hit like a, the big old age of 10 and they're like, I'm a teeny tiny adult and I would dress like one for my birthday. So when I started my Tumblr account and started really talking about royals on the internet, she was two years old. Well, she wasn't even two years old. She was almost two years old, but she was not quite. And um, she was the only grandchild of the, the king and queen. So the fact that she is now double digits, she's going to be a teenager soon. That is terrifying. And seeing her in a little blazer, I was just like, this is too much. I thought we all agreed. I thought I had an agreement with her parents that she was going to stop growing up. And they just keep violating it every single year. But I mean, it was a very sweet image. And I think she's so much like her mother. Yeah, she was like a mini Victoria. And, you know, if someone had shown me that picture and said, this was Crown Princess Victoria at 10, I would have been like, yeah, yes. <laughs> she completely believed it. Yeah, I mean, I did a side by side on my Instagram, which is how to dress like a princess, if anyone would like to go and see it. And I showed them in both of them in official birthday photographs in the palace wearing white. And they had like the same tilt of the head, the same smile. You know, I'm not very good at spotting similarities, but especially bad with babies. I see people who post things about like three month old babies and they're like, they look so much like their mum. I'm like, they look like a wrinkled alien. They do not look like their mother. <laughs> um, so I'm not very good at seeing similarities, but I think they're very similar in their personality and they're both very expressive. And so when I put those two things side by side, I was like, oh no, they've got sort of the same smile, the same kind of very positive kind of energy that radiates out from them. I mean, I was I was quite disappointed in the morning, to be honest, like I'm used to waking up and getting sort of three images all at once. And usually Oscar will be in Estelle's and she'll be in his and or there'll be the dog in them. And so when I woke up and I saw this one photograph that was very, very professional, you know, this sounds ungrateful, but I was a bit like, oh, it's just one photo and it's not she's not doing anything. Like, where's the rest? Yeah. So I was really glad when they shared another one in the evening. And that one was actually taken on the day of her birthday. Um, she was in the living room with the king and queen. I, so I th- I'm glad that they kind of released a second one because I was sort of feeling like, oh, this is this is unfair. Who do you think you are? The king, but just where's the picture? <laughs> oh, some shade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it was actually quite nice because we don't get to see her as much with the king and queen. I mean, we do see her quite regularly, but... Not as much in like birthday photos. Yeah, and it was it was like obviously she's ten, she's a big girl now, double digits, and I think that they it it's not the kind of birth pretty pictures with birthday cake and balloons that she normally gets. Um, but it was it was she was sat on like the same chair she sits on. She sat in an old birthday photos, and she's just wearing slightly grown up clothes. She wasn't in a board meeting or anything. Although I'd love to see that. Uh, her just with a bunch of people in a board <laughs> meeting. That would be funny. And also um, the king, King Carl Gustav, is he was sort of perched on the edge of the sofa. And he is just the most awkward person alive. And I just love that about him. <laughs> yeah, he looked like he was like, oh, God, do I have to be this picture? And they were like, smile, smile, sit there and smile. We're yeah. taking a pretty picture. He's always every I don't know how he does it, but every single photograph he's in, he manages to just make it so incredibly uncomfortable. And um I really relate to that. And then Oscar's birthday, 
Um, so I mentioned, you know, there was the photograph that was released that showed him playing in the snow and the photograph was taken by his mother, not by a professional photographer, like Estelle's photographs. And so once, because we'd had Estelle and we'd had that one photo in the morning and then another one that was released later in the day, I thought that they might release a second photograph of him later on in his birthday. And they didn't. Yeah, it was a lovely picture of him. But I think I, I always assume Swedes will give us like three or four pictures and there's one cute one of them smiling at the camera and then there's three of them like running around like children or you know playing with balloons or eating a cake or chasing a dog or you know fun things and this was a very cute picture and I was like but where's the other ones it is interesting that they've done the kind of the the air gets the professional pictures done and the the others get the uh mum pictures I mean one of the reasons I was slightly disappointed was that his fifth birthday photo shoot last year was also photographs of him playing around in the in the snow and so I actually had to google them and just double check that they hadn't just gone oh we'll just share a photograph from last year that wasn't released it was a new set of photos because he was wearing different clothes but I was just a bit like I mean I get it it snows in Sweden and the kids like to be in the snow <laughs> but I just I don't know I just felt like they could have even if it was going to be just one photo just taken by Crown Princess Victoria they could have still had the dog in it or they could have had him doing something else other than just what he did exactly last year but I do yeah I do think you make an interesting point about the difference between the two photos this is kind of a subtle shift in the household so We've talked about this a little bit before, but um, the king kind of made an announcement that they was going to create a divide between the royal house and the royal family. So the royal family is basically everyone, all of his kids and his grandkids, whereas the royal house is kind of the people who are expected to or who already are working regularly for the for the, the country. And so right before um, Estelle's birthday, it was her cousin, Princess Leonor's birthday. She, her birthday wasn't mentioned on their social media. It wasn't included on their website. It was her mother who shared photographs of her. And that's not how it's been done in previous years. So Leonor always used to get, and all of Madeline's children used to get their, their birthday photographs shared on the website as well. Um, and so I think they didn't do a big fanfare about it. I think that they did show that this is part of their shift towards streamlining to focus just on Estelle and Oscar and particularly Estelle. Yeah, it it did feel a bit like, like this is your future queen and this is her brother. Like not like I felt like Oscar was being like shortchanged or treated differently, but the way they were presented was different and maybe you know when Oscar gets to 10 he'll have his grown-up picture taken in a little suit with you know granny and granddad but (laughs) it just it seemed it was so for the first time it felt like quite a clear difference between the way they'd been presented. The Swedish royal family have really been an example of how to handle all of this um, because he didn't immediately stop fo- stop sharing photographs of them on the royal website or on the royal social media. It's only been this year that we haven't had Leonor on there and the announcement was made before the pandemic. So I think that the fact that they've been obviously doing this gradually rather than do it going like, everybody's cut off right away, we hate you all, <laughs> um, has been a very, very sensible way to do it. And I think there are some other royal families who could take note. <laughs> yes, not naming names anywhere. Madeline and Carl Philippe and Sophia have their own sort of 
their own social media channels and you know they are all still I mean not that Madeline does much because she lives in Florida but though they are still working royals um but they have their own way to they've not suddenly gone like well Leonor's never going to be working royal so she is now Leonor and you will never see her again like she still shares like a picture and I fully expect to see some for Carl Philippe and Sophia's children as well I mean I think it will be really interesting to see what they do with Carl Philippe and Sophia's children because well it all kind of stems from something that we talked about episode 11 these dangerous women which was kind of about um the the fact that Crown Princess Victoria was born not in line to the throne at all and then Carl Philip was born as the heir to the throne and then the Swedish government changed it so that there was equal right to the throne for women and for men and it flipped things and Victoria became the heir and at the time the king said he was opposed to that because he thought that the person who was born as the heir should stay as the heir and that has kind of lasted that the legacy of that has kind of lasted right up until this day where people think that Carl Philip is the favorite and he gets special treatment compared to Victoria and Madeline because the king still wishes that he was his heir it will be interesting to see whether or not Carl Philip and Sophia's children are get the same sort of treatment and get put on the website or not it is different they are living in Sweden and Carl Philip and Sophia do work more and we see their children more but if it's being fair we probably shouldn't have them on the website because they are at the same sort of status level as Madeline's children. So for our, our last big topic of today's episode, we thought we would have a look at the different responses from the different European royal families uh, towards the... Um, issues that have been going on in the Ukraine and in between Russia and the Ukraine, because they are a very big global talking point at the moment. And royals sit in that strange, precarious position where they can't quite get too involved, but also they can't quite not do anything about it. Uh, it's difficult because it, it does feel like talking about royals in this situation feels very sort of unimportant. The, there are thousands of people who have been killed and well over a million refugees who have fled the area. But of, co of course, this is a royal podcast and this is a major story that is happening. It would have felt strange not to talk about it in some ways. Um, but we will be sharing some resources and ways that you can support uh, people in Ukraine on our Instagram. So yeah, we thought we would start looking at the different statements made by the different royal families um, before going in and looking at a little bit more detail at some of the more specific things different royal families have done. The first country to release a statement who did it almost immediately was the Netherlands, the Dutch royal family, who released their statement on February the 24th um, from the king and queen, who essentially said that they stand by the people of the Ukraine and they, you know, ha thoughts and prayers with everyone involved in the conflict. I mean, a lot of other royal families have made statements. So Prince Albert of Monaco made a statement on February 28th. Um, obviously, within the British royal family, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge made a statement on February the 26th. I was I was really surprised to see a statement from the British royal family come out so quickly, to be honest. I wasn't expecting one. Um, and then when they did, I did think it was very suitable in the fact that it came from uh, William and Catherine, who met with the president of the Ukraine and his wife a couple of years ago and they just said you know we're sorry about what's going on and our thoughts and prayers are with these people we met a few years ago which was very it was very them it wasn't a 
damning political indictment of anyone. Um, and they it, it linked it back to them. It linked it back to some, their work. Um, and then obviously that one was the one that President Zelensky of the Ukraine responded to. He said, thank you to you know the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the royal family. He thanked um, the King and Queen of the Netherlands as well. I'm not sure if he thanked Prince Albert, to be honest, but I mean, Monaco's tiny. He has sort of been thanking them. Because I think when it first came out, this statement from uh, the Cambridges, my first in- instinct was like, oh, this is too political. And then I kind of thought about it a bit more and I was like, well, no, the, the thing that royals can't be, and I say this all the time, is partisan. So royals are inherently political. What they can't do is sort of align themselves with a particular policy position that's only on one side. And so when I thought about it a bit more, I thought, well, there is no major political party in the UK that I'm aware of anyway, that is saying, aren't Russia great? We should definitely side with Russia in this thing. So I think on reflection, it actually wasn't partisan. And I can imagine that this was something that was done in very close consultation with the government to make sure that they were saying the right things I don't think that they just sort of went rogue yeah and it was you know they signed it off as WNC which is their sort of oh we we did this just us no one involved um which made it quite personal uh, and they were the second um royals to release that statement because obviously the first two were Will, uh, Willem Alexander and Maxima who went straight in on the day and released it and obviously got theirs was you know from the king queen of the Netherlands on the official king queen paper shall we say it had their sort of royal monograms on it whereas William and Kate did a tweet and then obviously Albert did his his statement was almost a two-part one one was I sort of condemn this actions and I support the people of the Ukraine and the second one was sort of saying also we're going to follow all the sanctions that you the EU have imposed you know one of the things that frustrates me about statements is that you know if somebody's house is being bombed they can't protect themselves with a tweet you know so I've always felt like I get quite frustrated, especially these days with sort of this attitude. Like if you don't post a tweet about or whatever about Ukraine, you're a terrible person. But it doesn't actually matter what you do or what actions you take. It's all about ticking a box that you're talking about the trending issue. But then, you know, obviously the the fact that Zelensky thanked them suggests that he kind of it, it meant a lot to him and he knows a lot more about it than I do and has a lot more weight in this decision. So obviously I'm going to defer to him as being the person who gets to decide if the statements are appreciated or not. But I think that Albert's statement, even though it was the one that probably got the least attention and the least people know about, it was the one that was actually the most significant because he actually has power within his country um, and he has actually been involved in the decision that Monaco will freeze Russian assets in in Monaco. And that's going to, yeah, that's going to be a huge thing because a lot of Russian oligarchs have residences in Monaco. Yeah. I, I mean, my note for that kind of says Albert has power, but it's like <laughs> he, he was involved in that. He would have had to make that decision. Um, but like you said, the thing about, you know, statements are just statements. They're, they're kind of virtue signaling. Yeah. Um, and it's why I got really frustrated those first few days. And everyone was like, well, why hasn't this person made a post about it? Or why hasn't this person? And I was like, at the moment, and this kind of era we're in, there's a bit of a, well, if you're not posting about it on social media, it didn't happen. And that's quite significantly not the case for everyone, let alone people who have these kind of public personas. Yeah, for sure. And I think that if you just were looking at it on statements, it doesn't necessarily look like they're paying a lot of attention. And I think some people might draw conclusions from that of like, oh, well, this particular royal family doesn't care about it. But I would say uh, there's two things to say about that is one is that 
royals are not just ordinary people who can do whatever they want. If you can't, I don't think that you can just look at statements and decide that this person doesn't care about something. Um, they are always being guided by what their country is saying, what their government is saying, and they don't have complete control, except from somebody like Albert. But I also think that, you know, statements aren't the only way that you can show support. So that kind of moves us on to another big category of things that have happened, which is kind of the more face-to-face events. Yes. So Charles's visit to South and on Sea, which was unrelated to the Ukraine um, and his speech he made there. Um, but he also made a visit with Camilla to the Ukrainian Catholic Church, Catholic Cathedral in London, where there was essentially a service going on and people from the Ukraine or Ukrainian ancestry were there and you know they took flowers and Charles made a speech there as well. It was a lot more personal. You know, Camilla was hugging the wife of the uh, Ukrainian diplo- diplomat to England, to the UK. Um, and it was one of those more kind of like personal moments where it was not the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall meeting Ukrainians it was Charles and Camilla meeting people who are having a bigger who are greatly being impacted by uh, what's going on in their home country Um, and they're obviously not the only ones who've done something like that. Yeah I would say that there's kind of broadly two categories of events that have kind of happened and one is kind of the public ones like that and I think they a lot of them have been quite similar and I suppose that's because there's only really so many things that you can do without getting political like none of these people can go to protests so other examples in Norway uh, Hakon and Metanarit went to a church service at um, in Oslo and later to Candle um, Hakon also went to visit Save the Children the Red Cross and the Norwegian Refugee Council to find out what they were doing to support people in the area uh, crown prince frederick of denmark um took his two youngest children the twins to the ukrainian embassy to sort of leave flowers and they shared that publicly so they've all been quite similar kind of things one by the time this has gone out there will have also been a meeting between the king and queen of the netherlands willem alexander and maxima um, and ukrainians who are living in the netherlands so i think you can see from that that they're all in a fairly similar kind of vain they all kind of are doing the same sort of things everybody's lighting a candle leaving flowers talking to ukrainian people but i have found some of them to be quite moving especially the one of frederick and the children you know children nowadays have such a huge access to information in a way that i definitely didn't when i was young whether their family are trying to protect them from learning about these things or not they are going to find out about it and it's reasonable especially for children to kind of have this anxiety because they don't know how far away Ukraine is. They don't know that some of these stories are exaggerated and we're probably not going to get bombed, you know, in the next five seconds if you're living in Denmark. And I felt like this was um, a really good example to set. I mean, all of the all of the things have been quite moving. Um, you know, I wouldn't nor- normally say that Charles and Camilla are people who make me particularly emotional, but like they laid sunflowers, which is the national flower of Ukraine. So I think that those these events have all been handled really sensitively. They they've sort of towed a line very carefully without you know pushing themselves into a place where you know at the moment these people, the Ukrainian people of are you know various countries are very concerned about what is going on back in Ukraine and you know they're they're under so much pressure and stress and obviously throwing some royals into the mix isn't necessarily going to help with that. 
but they've not come across that they've kind of shoved themselves in to take a nice photo op. It feels like something all sort of three of them or three groups have genuinely been like, this is something that is important to us to do and we want to help in whichever way we can. And I think, you know, taking, you know, Vincent and Josephine to, to lay flowers is a very, it's a very sensible way of doing it. You know, I'm a teacher. We, My children who, you know, in the UK are very concerned about the war. They associate it back to World War Two, And, you know, they they know that when Hitler invaded Poland, the UK got involved. So they're, cons- they don't quite understand why we've not gone to help the Ukraine in the same way. But then they're worried that Putin's going to go and bomb their houses and, you know, and we had to have a long talk about that. And they, they like you said, they have so much access to things on like TikTok. And, um, but I think it's, you then need to give them something that they can do to feel positive and laying flowers is such a good way to do that. And then there's kind of been another category of events, I would say, which is the more sort of private ones or the more like behind closed doors things. So to give some examples of those in Sweden, the king and crown princess victoria have been receiving briefings actually for months about the situation that's going on in that part of the world um, from various different organizations in sweden and across europe philippe in belgium has visited the defense headquarters grand duke henri in luxembourg met with the vice president of the european commission and king felipe in spain went to a security or hosted a security council meeting and so these are all the ones where they're not as sort of emotional um they're very much about kind of strategy and um high level discussions with government figures but i think actually a lot of the royal families that are not doing the public showy gestures are still doing things but they are these sort of closed door meetings yeah definitely i think you know you can there is kind of a not an explicit line but the ones who haven't made the public statements are also the ones doing the behind the scenes stuff um but you know it they've all done something to an extent I mean you've also had Denmark would you have a military dinner for representatives of different sort of armed forces and they cancelled it because this is not the time for that um obviously when war broke out the Norwegian royals were on holiday um so Hakon uh came home first essentially so he could be regent in case something happened and they needed a, reg- a king there um the Duke of Cambridge met with the Secret Intelligence Service and the Secretary of State for Defence. So they're clearly very well informed about what is going on and they are taking a clear interest behind the scenes and, you know, probably giving their opinion and making sure, seeing if what they can do, quite frankly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think that actually moves us quite nicely into my third category, gestures. Um, So it's where things are being done that are not engagements as such and are not statements but they are obvious ways to try and show a certain point of view and so you've mentioned here cancellation so yeah Margrethe cancelled a sort of military dinner um the king and queen of Belgium were supposed to go to the uh Democratic Republic of Congo which would have been an interesting trip because Belgium iffy itself (laughs) yeah they would have been an interesting trip because we talked about this in episode three um Belgium enslaved uh, the Congo and treated them terribly and kept interfering with their friend, uh, their affairs well into the 1960s. So that would have been an interesting trip, but that's been cancelled. Do you, do we think there are other things that are coming up, uh, like the Cambridge's trip to um, the Caribbean? Do we think that other events are going to be cancelled moving forward? I think it depends on the position of the people in charge. I can definitely see monarchs staying in their country or in, so I I could see, you know, 
the Danish, Swedish and Norwegian royals, they're so close, they could just sort of pop over for a bit. But I definitely see, you know, the monarchs, the people with the power staying close to their country at the moment in case something does happen. But I also think that wars can last for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, there is no action being taken by any other country. It's kind of, there are, you know, sanctions being made. But I think I, th- I think this would go for any country for the the lower down royals. So whether that's the Cambridges, whether it's um, Victoria and Daniel, if they were making a visit, maybe not to Eastern Europe, but to somewhere else, I could definitely see that going ahead. And I think, you know, partly it's because of the amount of money these trips cost. And it would be coming off the back of a pandemic to suddenly be like, mm, actually, you spent all this money, but we're not doing it. It's not going to be the best look unless Britain is actively... Mm. at war or the Caribbean are actively at war I don't think it would be cancelled whereas I think for for the Belgian royal family in particular that was always going to be a bit of an iffy trip to the Congo but they are the king and queen of Belgium is it Hakon and uh, Metamirit who are going to um, Sweden quite soon I, I mean I imagine that will still go ahead I don't think that's going to be something that even though they are so close to uh, Russia physically I don't think that's something that for example would get cancelled yeah, no, I agree. I think maybe we'll see less military events for a little while. Events that involve diplomats might be cancelled. So the Queen has cancelled the diplomatic reception that was supposed to be coming up, probably because, just because all of the diplomats are very busy. So I, I do, yeah, I think that some things might be cancelled or some elements of tours might be rejigged a little bit. But as you mentioned, you know, these things cost a lot of money some of them are coming up very soon like the the visit of the um, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge to the Caribbean is this month so all of the planning will have pretty much been done Um, and the cost is also on the person who organized it a lot of the time so the Caribbean countries will have spent a lot of money and time getting these things together and it is a very sensitive time um, given that Barbados and sort of got rid of the Queen so they probably don't want to risk irritating them any more than necessary so I think it will definitely be a discussion but I would have thought that it would go ahead with maybe just some things tweaked a little bit I think you know not to sound a bit like a hippie but human nature is to find that kind of that joy still in life because if you do dwell on the conflicts that are going on in the world because there are a lot of conflicts going on all over the world that have been going on for a long time that different governments are involved in to different extents um you'd never get anything done and I can't go into work and say actually I really don't fancy teaching today because I'm feeling really sad about the seven-year war that's happening in Yemen like they're going to be like mm, actually get on with it Grace so you know I uh, a royal also can't do that they might have to be more aware of the optics of what they're doing when they can't exactly walk in dressed in the Russian flag but apart from that there's nothing to say why they couldn't go and look at some coral reefs one of the other big categories of gestures that have um, that have kind of come out has been the reports of donations to various charitable appeals. So um, we have the Queen and the Cambridges who gave to the, or allegedly gave to the uh, Ukraine appeal of the Disasters and Emergency Committee. Um, we have Prince Charles who gave to the Red Cross. And then the one that's possibly the most interesting to me is the Duchess of Cornwall who gave to the Daily Mail's um, appeal which is being given to UNICEF I think 
um, but it's the Daily Mail who are kind of raising the money for it. Um, and I have had some people sort of question, you know, actually linking this back to the quid pro quo conversation we had earlier on. Like, is this the Duchess of Cornwall using a charitable na- donation to kind of try and buy good press? I mean, it's one of those ones where maybe she is, we don't know for sure. Um, and yes, the Daily Mail did come out and go, look, Camilla's donated to us, um, as they were obviously going to do. But at the same time, the Daily Mail appeal is also the one that the government are going to match pound for pound up to a certain amount. So it's not like this is just like, this is the one the government are also donating to. I mean, not to sound like a, a non-cynical person who's a big fan of Camilla and was like, oh, she would never do that. But I also think uh, you could see at her visit to the Ukrainian uh, Catholic Church that she was very emotional about this. Um, and maybe, you know, in the back of her mind, there was a part where she was going, oh, if I do donate to the Daily Mail one, they're going to be so nice about Queen Camilla. But I also think she just saw the word refugee and saw the government was going to match a substantial donation and thought, I want to help the refugees. Yeah, I mean, I think to go back to that conversation earlier, it's not a, if you give if she did give money to the Daily Mail's thing because she hoped that it would lead to some good coverage, that's not quid pro quo. That is just PR. For me, as somebody who works in fundraising, I don't really care all that much about why you're giving me money. Maybe that's a bad thing to say, but if you are giving money to get something named after you or to get to hope in the hope that you might get good press. That money is still the same to me as somebody who gave it just because they have the warm glow, which is still ultimately a selfish, selfishly motivated thing um, of helping somebody. The money's the same. We'll do the same thing with it. So maybe she did make the choice that she was going to give money. She could have given it to the Red Cross and maybe nobody would have known about it. But instead, she gave it to the media appeal, hoping that they would talk about it. Maybe that is what happened, but it still helps people. Um and so I don't and there's no evidence that it was sort of that was the actual arrangement in advance so I don't really have much of an issue with it I also found it interesting that it was the disasters emergency committee themselves who confirmed the queen donated to them because obviously the queen's not going to make a statement going oh big fan just made my little donation here you can donate as well but I was like it was a very subtle way of being like the queen's donated to us so I feel like she must have said that that was okay to share that she did that, um, which is an interesting choice. I don't know. It, it is a messy area because I feel like there are a lot of people who are definitely using this as just a PR thing. Um, I suppose if you are a public figure, you do want people to think posi- positively of you and donating to charity is a way that people might think positively of you. But you also have to be just very careful that it doesn't seem like you're... Um, you're you're doing that I think the queen is probably the one person who can get away with it the most because there's so much affection for her that that don't you know them announcing that she donated to them genuinely might make people donate to them um and also people can phrase it as like oh look how generous she is which I don't think would necessarily be the case if it was Charles or the Cambridges who were getting this statement that was published I think people would be a bit more divided about how they feel about it I can see why people might feel a certain way, especially about when it's a donation to the Daily Mail, who are not well liked. But I, you know, as somebody who is not a fan of the Daily Mail, is it really impressive that they've raised all this money? And I'm not going to take that away from them just because I don't like their articles, you know? 
yeah, the Daily Mail are very good at raising, I think because they are the most read newspaper in the UK, by apart from possibly The Sun, but also with their online one, it's the most read news website in the world. I think they are, in, and they have before been incredibly good at raising money. And the Daily Mail, I don't like them. And they have, you know, they tread that line and they cross that line with issues on race and sexuality and all these other things so often. And they're not always reliable but they occasionally have done things that have had an impact that no other news source really could do. My personal favourite gesture came from Queen Letizia. So the Spanish royals are one of the ones who really haven't said very much. Um, I mentioned earlier that Felipe went to a security or hosted a security council meeting, um, but they haven't done like a statement or anything. They haven't done a very big sort of you know, they haven't gone to the church and laid flowers or anything like that. But Lucizia went to an event and she wore a traditional Ukrainian blouse. And, you know, there was a moment where she arrived and she was wearing like a black coat over the top. And then as soon as she sort of stopped for photographs, she deliberately took that coat off so that the whole the blouse could be seen in its in full, which was an obvious like without saying a single word. It was an obvious way that she was trying to communicate support for Ukrainian people. And I think that was possibly one of my favorite sort of gestures that's come out of this whole thing or the one that I felt was the most impactful for me as somebody who runs a fashion a royal fashion account because you know people say to me all the time like fashion is so frivolous it doesn't mean anything why do you care about it who cares about what they wear and I think this is a great example of the fact that actually it's an art form and like any art form it can communicate a message like you said it was a completely you know silent act and also it was one of the most explicit acts royals are very aware that of the focus on what they wear that's not like that's it they're going oh my gosh they've noticed my clothes today I'm so impressed by this it's it's not a secret so she made the choice to wear it and you know again it's not something that would necessarily be obvious to someone on a casual view but it's it's not something she would normally wear that style of clothes um, and it, it 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 was a it's a Ukrainian shirt. It's at their sort of their national shirt, and it felt like a very honest and sort of genuine show of support. If you look at lots of invasions and things like this over history, you'll see that one of the first things that they do once they've kind of killed people and kind of destroyed the population in that way, one of the first things that they then do is that they they target culture. They target um, national sites of interest. So they'll bomb, um, uh, you know, like landmarks that are significant to that country. They will ban languages. They will ban your culture. And this blouse is very visually distinctive to Ukrainian people as being something that is produced by their folk artists. And so I kind of liked that she went about it in a fashion way because it felt like she was saying, not only I support the people of Ukraine because I've worn their top, but also I support the unique thing that makes them Ukrainian. I support something that is unique to them, that is that part of their identity. Because that's what this conflict is a lot about, is sort of Russia kind of trying to wipe out Ukraine's status as an independent country and kind of absolve them as part of, you know, a new version of the Soviet Union. And so it was it was they kind of double layered. There was that initial layer, but then there was also on top of that kind of her saying, I don't just support you, but I also respect the things that make you unique. Um, and I'm going to highlight that to the world. 
And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's kind of what I got from it. The, the wives of monarchs, the, the queens, are often in a quite a similar position where they actually don't have the power of the monarch, but they are equally powerful to them in sort of terms of diplomacy. Um, so, you know, King Felipe was sitting over the, presiding over the Security Council because that's his job and Letizia couldn't do that. But she could make this very public statement in another way without having to sort of intrude we've i mean that's a lot of information we've just packed into this section um because there have been a lot of different responses and so we haven't really had time to go into detail about every single thing that's happened and what people did minute to minute um but we've just kind of given you a bit of an overview and talked about how we feel about some of these things um and i think the big takeaway really is that there is a spectrum of responses that kind of goes from doing absolutely nothing publicly up to personally deciding that you're going to issue sanctions against Russian people. For good reason, there will be a feeling from some people that some royals are not doing enough and other royals are maybe doing too much. But I do think that this is a time to remember that they are not celebrities, they are not influencers, they're not ordinary people. They are representatives of their country and how they respond is going to be guided by the government and not just by their own personal feelings. And just because you're not seeing something happening publicly doesn't mean that it isn't happening privately. And I think that's something you should remember for everyone. Like just because somebody hasn't posted about the Ukraine situation, that doesn't mean that they haven't donated or written to their MP or done something in their own lives. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. Um, if you would like to send us any suggestions of future topics or just send some feedback, as long as it's nice, um, then you can reach us on Tumblr or on Instagram. Um, we are on air podcast on both of those places. I would really love if you could rate us five stars on whichever platform you listen to. But yes, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. So that is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.